Hey there. Welcome to episode 23 of MacBook Pro. It's your boy Macklin. I feel like I've been on a roll lately. Recorded back-to-back episodes yesterday. Didn't mean to publish the second one in the same day. But when I realized I did, I just didn't even give a frick. I just let it go. And I actually sent episode 22 to my mom. And her reply was, you already recorded episode 22. I guess she thought that I recorded a new episode and accidentally called it 23. We were on the phone yesterday. And she told me, or maybe it was today. And she told me that she thought that I was repeating myself a lot. And then she realized that she was listening to the same episode again. And she told me that if I actually had been repeating myself that she would have called me in the middle of the night um, to tell me to take down the episode. Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what true support looks like. And uh, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. She keeps me very much on it. I think over the summer when my mom comes to visit Berlin, I'm going to have her on the pod. She's She's got a great voice, really. She used to do radio announcements in our town uh, for like, you know, certain events and stuff when she was volunteering. She just has a very, very pleasant voice. And that's where I get it from. <laughs> I mean, obviously, her, her voices sound a little bit different. Hers is a little bit more feminine than mine. But yeah, it would be great to have her on here. And then everyone can figure out for themselves where I get the thing that makes me me from, in other words, why I'm so fucked. I think some people appreciate it. I I like to believe that this podcast was an opportunity for people that didn't really know me that well to get to know me better. Uh, my It wasn't my initial aim. My initial aim was just to make people feel more comfortable in general by being myself and not being afraid uh, to say the things that I actually think. Because I think it goes a long way when someone's really authentic and they just speak their minds. But we kind of have a culture where so many people are afraid to just say what they actually think, not even because it's like controversial, but I think you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of fear of criticism and being trolled and stuff like that. And it's rough. It's rough. I mean, It's really like you can't feel free until you feel comfortable being yourself. And that is just something that I never wanted to feel the weight of. And that's why I tried to get out from underneath it as quickly as I could. Because that amount of fear of just feeling like you're not good enough is a really awful feeling. And I think I was always lucky that I had this like class clown complex, if you will, where I always made fun of myself. 
Because even though I take myself extremely seriously, you probably wouldn't realize that if you're just listening to this podcast, but yeah, I, uh, I'm a little bit obsessive when it comes to like goal setting and getting stuff done and I have really big goals and ambitions, but I also have that, uh, class clown complex where I just put myself at the center of attention to make fun of myself, to make other people feel comfortable And it actually makes me feel more comfortable as well. And I just hope that at least the people that listen to this because they find it through me feel more comfortable with themselves because I'm literally willing to put this podcast out there for any single person to listen to. And I have a a theory that I've been working with and the theory is that even if somebody listens to my podcast, somebody that might have been a client, like a potential client, um, my my feeling is that I'm only filtering for people that I would actually want to work with. And so if you listen to this podcast and it's not your cup of tea, then maybe we just weren't meant to work together. Or maybe you look past it and you just realize that every single person has a side to them that you probably don't know. And uh, in my case, I just make it very obvious that I have different sides. I just like showcase them because that's kind of like what a human being is at the end of the day is just a combination of different sides that you either see because they share it with you or you don't see And then you, you know, just have an impression of them that's not accurate. There have been so many times when I have made, when I foolishly made a judgment of someone thinking that they are one way, only to find out that they are like a complete freak in the best way possible. And I don't mean that sexually. Please get your mind out of the gutter. But you know, sometimes like you'll meet someone, especially in Berlin, you'll meet someone that maybe has like... Uh, that stereotypical Germanness, where you you see them and they're very buttoned up and reserved, but then you get to know them and you realize, you know, they have different sides to them. And uh, you know, as an American, I think it's difficult to keep those sides apart because if I mean, I'm only speaking for myself now, but. the TV shows and the movies that I grew up watching, the a lot of the main characters are very outspoken. And that's just kind of what I grew up watching, right? So like the Disney Channel, all of those kids are like Disney kids and they have, you know, really rambunctious personalities and quirkiness and whatever. And I think it's really beautiful because, you know, I never, I mean, I for a long time I haven't felt like I was out of place And I still don't feel like I'm out of place in in Germany at all. I find that Germans are, I mean, now I'm getting very general, but I do speak to quite a few German clients that are what you can consider to be like the Mittelstand Germans, like SMBs, I think, 
So like small and medium businesses. And maybe it's just because I'm not there for the conversations that happen after I leave a room or a a call. But I haven't really felt like I was judged. I think the one time that I can, two times that I can remember that I've been seriously hardcore judged by Germans, one time when I was um, visiting my third school for orientation, my third college, I was trying to decide if I would continue studying Mandarin or if I would take German or another language. And how I made my decision was I visited, I'm not going to say his name, but I visited the professor of German. I think he was the head of the German department at the university. I had set up a meeting with him, and when I got into the meeting with him, just like a fucking idiot, I asked him, which language should I take? And he just looked at me like, what the fuck are you asking me? What do you mean, what language should you take? How am I going to make that decision for you, pretty much? I was like, well, what do you think of Germany's economy? And this guy was just like, look, I don't, I don't have time for this. You know, just answer the, answer the question yourself. And of course I chose German because that was, that made a really good impression on me. That guy was good at selling. Pretty much just pushed me out of his room. And uh, so that was the first time that I was like ever really hardcore judged by German the second time that I was ever hardcore judged by a German, it was COVID. And I had an inspection in my apartment. Actually, it was an inspection and a handyman needed to install fire uh, alarms throughout the building and smoke detectors. So he comes into my, my one room flat. It's a separate kitchen and then a bedroom with the living room and it's so small and he walks in he looks around for like literally one second and he goes wow this is really small and then as he's about to leave he's like can i use your bathroom and he takes a shit in my bathroom which it's, it was a small place so that was quite unpleasant and i felt hardcore judged when he told me that my place was small Actually, I have noticed that, like, I don't know why, maybe I I just feel, I I make people feel too comfortable, but the last time that I had a handyman in my place, I didn't call him, it was something that the building arranged, Uh, he was changing the water gauges, I guess, I just made that up, I don't know what, what, what he was changing, something in the bathroom. And before he left, he was like, hey, can I use your bathroom? And I, you know, I was expecting like a quick pee. Yeah, no, he destroyed my bathroom. I was pretty confused because we'd had such a lovely conversation. I mean, again, I think I just made him feel comfortable, but it just seemed like an act of rebellion for no reason that he would take a shit in my bathroom. So yeah, it's a good thing to make people feel comfortable. I love seeing people behaving the way that they would when they're around their friends. I went on a date with a girl that I met organically, if you will, not on a dating app. And 
how we met was that I was waiting for a friend in front of a theater. We were going to go see a stand-up show. And there was this girl that was, she's a woman. She was handing, uh, she was asking for signatures rather and handing out like pamphlets. And she approached me and she asked me if I could sign. And I started speaking German and she immediately realized that I wasn't native. I don't know how. And uh, yeah, she was like, oh, actually, I don't think that you're eligible for this. But we kept chatting anyway. She was really cute. Um, don't get me wrong. Actually, she was beautiful. And we would probably talked for like another 15 or 20 minutes. And finally, she asked, hey, I actually need to go back to work and continue collecting signatures. But do you want to, it seems like you're, you know, interested in continuing this conversation. Do you want to just give me your number and we can keep talking? I was like, uh, yeah, obviously. So I gave her my number and we started talking and we met up for a date and we went to a bar and at that time I wasn't drinking and, you know, I just kind of like, I don't even know what I had, um, but she ordered a drink and we started talking and because I, I made her feel so comfortable, I mean, I, I tend to ask a lot of questions because I'm curious about things. And, you know, at one point I could tell that there was something that was making her uncomfortable when she brought up her sister, <laughs> like any good therapist. I asked her, you know, what's your relationship like with your sister or something like that. And I could see that, you know, like tears were welling in her eyes. So I took the my, my foot off the pedal because I didn't want to like, you know, upset her. And so we, we changed topics. We started talking about something else. And then as she was drinking, and this, she had one drink. So just putting that out there. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not calling her out, but I'm just saying. She returned to the subject again and she started crying. And uh, yeah, that was uncomfortable to say the least. But if there's one thing that I have noticed about myself, and this is something that maybe one day I can actually profit from, so like, I think I would be a good therapist because I do genuinely care about people's feelings. I just do tend to also stay quite cold when people express their feelings. And, uh, you know, that's not ideal in a lot of cases, but as a therapist, it's actually encouraged. So maybe, yeah, maybe I should, uh, bring that to the practice. There have been a, quite a few situations, I would say, over the course of my life where I've made the other person feel comfortable enough to share information. And most of the time, 99% of the time, I would say, I, I don't tell the stories because, you know, I don't want to put anybody in a position where they feel like they can't trust me. Um, but there will, there have been times though, where someone has told me something and it just makes me feel 
deeply, deeply uncomfortable. And luckily no one has told me anything where I feel like I've had to like go to the police. And maybe before I continue talking, if you're listening to this episode and we know each other or we're going to know each other at some point in the future, please do yourself and me a favor and don't tell me something that I'd have to go to the police about. It would be so uncomfortable for us both because I was raised Catholic and I don't do well with Catholic guilt at all. And uh, it would be super uncool if you told me something and then I had to like go to the police. So yeah, just want to put that out there. Although, yeah, no, no, that's it. So yeah, you've been warned. I'm not a snitch, but uh, it's like Lil Wayne. I'm not a killer, but don't push me. It's like that, but the opposite. I'm not a snitch, but don't push me. Yeah, so there's that. And when I feel like somebody is confiding something in me, it's it's beautiful, right? Because it means that they trust you. But people also know, or they should know, like the level of to which you can trust a complete stranger. If one of my friends tells me something, I'm not going to tell a soul. If And especially if they tell me, like, don't tell anybody. I'm not going to tell a soul. Not even my mom. Not even this podcast. If a complete stranger tells me, don't tell someone this, immediately my ears are perking up because I'm, you know, thinking I'm going to find a treasure or something. But I wouldn't be that guy that would steal treasure from somebody who tells me, okay? So don't feel like you need to hold that information back. You can definitely tell me if you know where treasure is buried. I'll help you find it. But the reason I bring it up is like, it, as the as the uh, person telling the secret, it really does put the listener into a really uncomfortable position, right? Where they have to now hold on to information that they never really consented to receiving. Because when you don't know somebody that well, you probably don't expect them to reveal something that would like shake you to your core. No, you you just you expect like the normal stuff that somebody would tell you that doesn't know you. Maybe they would tell you something like, I don't know, something, something that they would tell anybody. Or if it is going to be like more personal. You know, maybe it's still not their deepest, darkest secret, but something that makes them feel uncomfortable that they want to confess. I don't know. I think for me, though, it's always a red flag. Somebody just confides something in you that's like very, very clearly uh, overstepping the boundaries somehow. Yeah. Wow. I was going to give you guys an example. I think I still could. Okay, I will. But I was never told not to say this, okay? And I am not friends with the person that told me this. Um, I knew a guy once who was a few years older than me. And I had just met him on the same day 
that he told me this. Uh, but yeah, he he confided in me that when he was in college, he started smoking meth, and then he got arrested by the police, and then got kicked out of college, and then asked if I could help him because I was I was trying to help him, but asked if I could help him with his like college admissions and stuff. And I feel like those situations are really tough because obviously you know he he was brave to confide in somebody who's a stranger. But yeah, just um, it's not not the most comfortable situation. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna switch topics on that because uh, the next time that I bring this up, I'd like to be armed with a few more incredibly awkward stories if I have them. But for now, I'm not really not really in that mindset of uh, of those kinds of stories. I think I'm generally today like quite mm, I would say that my mind is quite calm today, which is nice. It was a, it was a long day. A lot of emails, some phone calls. And uh and I've been cooking like crazy recently. And yes, that's a good thing to a certain extent, but I've definitely been overdoing it with the food again. It's tough. You know, they don't they don't really make one person pans and pots. Pots and pans. Why would I ever say pans and pots? Fucking rookie mistake. They don't really make like containers for one person. Maybe they do. They definitely do. I mean... Japan exists, right? I feel like Japan is the country of lonely men. I just made that up. I have no idea. I've never been there. But I'm going to go there later this year as as a lonely man. Uh, Or I should say as a man who's alone. See? Reframing. Um, But yeah, just, I mean, all the silverware and stuff that I have. Okay, the silverware is meant for one person. It's a fucking fork, obviously, okay? Don't jump down my throat. But like the pots, the pans, all that kind of cooking stuff, I always feel like I put way too much into each pan. And then I end up having like three plates of food. And that's like the most, probably the most beneficial thing about being in a relationship. (laughs) Obviously I'm joking, come on guys. But it is an advantage. And if you don't think it's an advantage, you're lying to me and yourself, but mostly to me, and that hurts. It's an advantage, because when you're in a relationship, you can cook food, and, you know, everything that you cook will be split in two, although, how a lot of women that I've dated want you to think is that everything is going to be split, like, maybe 60-40, so the guy is, is expected to eat more than the girl. That's just how it goes. That is what we are told to believe as men in our society. That we're going to get the lion's share of the food. But you know what ends up happening? And it usually only happens when you go out to restaurants with girls. They end up taking all of the french fries. And it becomes more like a 60-40 split in their favor. And it's not like as the guy 
Now I'm just going to speak for myself. It's not like in the past I haven't asked, you know, would you also like some French fries? It's not like I don't ask those questions. It's just that I think a lot of women are very good at using their brain to overcome their hunger initially. Whereas like for me, you know, I, I just, I actually just try to limit myself in those situations altogether by just not going to those places like a fast food anonymous addict or something fast food addict, fast food anonymous. You know, I just try to not put myself in those places at all because I know how it's going to end. But you'll see women go out to restaurants and their stomachs will be gr- like uh, gurgling and and growling. And they'll just, you know, be powdering their face and say like, no, 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 I'm not hungry at all. I ate a big lunch today. And so... How many times can you ask a girl on a date, do you want french fries as well? Once? Twice if you're really fucking bold. And then what ends up happening is the french fries come out. Of course, they look amazing and they smell great. And your date who ordered a salad is starting to think, fuck, I really wish I'd ordered french fries. And uh, you only get to see about 30% of those french fries. And you only really get to see about maybe 50 or 60% of your main course as well. It's truly genius if you think about it, like from a survival standpoint. Because the guilt will always be on the person who ordered it, not on the person who eats it. At least that's something I just made up as I was talking. And so, yeah, that's... uh. That's really all I have to say about that. I think women are very good about like handling the temptation up front. And also, maybe it's because I'm a terrible... Well, I, I'm going to stop calling myself terrible at anything. Maybe it's because I almost killed a girl with my cooking once that I feel like no one's asking for seconds when I cook. And when I say no one's asking for seconds when I cook... I'm single. (laughs) I live alone. So that's actually true. No one is asking for singles. No one's asking for, uh, sorry, no one's asking for seconds. No one's asking for singles either, though, if we're being real. No one's asking for any of my food except my dog who stares at me while I cook. And maybe if I were one of those Bobby Flay, Guy Fury, or What's it? Wolfgang Puck? What's the other guy's name? The one that's um, in the kitchen. You know, that cook that's always in the kitchen. Uh, Gordon Ramsay. You know, if I, if I were um, a, a male chef, like a celebrity chef, then it would be a lot different, I think. I hope. But uh, I'm not. And I think the reputation that I have of almost killing a hinge date once in 2020 with my cooking really did uh really did set the tone and i think that reputation has followed me ever since but yeah so that's pretty much why i feel like i've just been overdoing it with the food lately it's difficult to stop eating when you know that there's more food and what's crazy is like i'm actually kind of bloated right now i'm actually getting a little chubby it feels but I'm still in like 
most likely still in the best shape of my life. I say most likely with an asterisk because I'm still much thinner than I've ever been. It's just, you know, the the self-control thing with the eating and it'll catch up to you. That's the thing. It always catches up to you. So the minute that you notice it, that's when you're present and that's when you have to stop doing it because you only really have, I would say you really only have about a month, maybe less, maybe three weeks to change that behavior before you actually start putting on enough weight where you feel guilty. And you, I can just speak from experience. You don't want to get to that place. It's really unmotivating and it really does become a struggle. I think the ideal place when it comes to weight loss in general is to get to a place where maintaining the weight that you are is the only option. Like that's all you want. Where you feel like you've lost as much weight as you want to lose. And from there, you just stay at that weight. And then you can eat a few hundred more calories a day and everything is good. Yeah, but um, for me in Berlin, I have noticed, like especially in the summer months, it's so easy to walk around. I love this city. I love it. I'll defend it. I'll defend the city. I freaking love Berlin. And in New York, it was also like that, uh, the walking, not me loving it, but the walking. I used to live about 45 minutes away from my office, and I used to, on sunny days, and rainy days sometimes, um, I used to walk there. And the thing about New York is that it's, to me at least, it was always better to walk places because it meant that you could avoid the smells of the subway. What, what has surprised me a lot is how I grew up going to New York City all the time because I lived three and a half hours away. And, you know, I was there more than, okay, I don't know who to compare it to, but I was there a lot. And I never got used to the smells of the city. And then I lived there and I never got used to the smells of the city or the sounds of the city. Sorry, I'm lifting up my shirt right now so I can see if I have a belly. There is progress to be done, to be made. Anyway. Um... I never got used to it. And and I have some friends now that are not from New York, that are actually from Europe, that are living in New York. And, you know, that that's never something that they've brought up. Or at least, like, it's not been a big topic of conversation. The smells of the city and stuff like that. So, or the sounds of the city. I have a confession for you guys. I don't really know how to share this, so I'm just going to get it out there. When I lived in New York, in Midtown East, there was a building across the street that was under construction. And I don't know how this company got away with this, but they would do all of their construction between the hours of like 8 p.m. and 3 a.m. And if you've ever been in a city with skyscrapers, you know that the sound just bounces between buildings. And it means that Every time that somebody honks a horn or sirens go off, it's like it's happening in your bedroom. And I'm a very light sleeper. So 
I thought through, you know, a a few different options of how I could tackle this. One of the things that I would do is I would sleep with the TV on really loudly. Another thing that I would do is I would um, sleep with the TV on really loudly. I didn't really think of too many strategies now that I'm looking back on it. Um, I, but I did start actually listening to music with my AirPods before I went to bed. And that really did help me. And uh, it helped me in the beginning. But then what I would realize is like the playlist that I would select, maybe it had, you know, three or four hours worth of songs that I could fall asleep to. And then after that, uh, I couldn't predict what what was going to come on because Spotify would just change the, the music when the playlist was over. And... I also, there would be some songs, you know, because if it was a longer playlist, you didn't know exactly what the songs were going to be sometimes. uh, You know, I mean, I fell asleep, right? So I didn't always know what the music was in the second or third or fourth hour. Well, one night I was listening to a playlist and the song Collide by Howie Day came on. And it was like, you know, the dawn is breaking, the light shining through. There you go. That was me singing probably the only time on this podcast. So you're welcome. And it was the acoustic version. And I started to realize while I was listening to that song that it was putting me to sleep. And so I decided from that moment on that I was going to put that song on repeat every single night. And so I listened to Collide for between six to eight hours every single night for close to six months, maybe even eight months. And that's how I got through it. And now you would think that because I've listened to that song so much, I would probably know every lyric. That's incorrect. I actually heard this song the other day while I was cleaning my apartment and I didn't even recognize it. I was like, what is this? And then I realized, oh shit, I'd actually already heard that um, because the podcast, or sorry, the playlist repeated itself. So I'd already heard it like an hour and a half earlier while I was still cleaning. And, uh, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I really thought that I would know that song inside and out. I still don't know all the words to the song. That's how good of a sleep song it is. Put, put me right asleep every single time. Yep. I had to have a moment of silence for that song. It was really a beautiful song. If only I could remember the words. So I just touched really briefly upon how long it takes me to clean stuff. I I hope that you noticed. If you're a woman, maybe you, you were perceptive enough to notice that I just mentioned that. It takes me an hour and a half to clean. That's actually a lie as well. And I want to be honest with you. It takes me much longer to clean. I spent maybe four hours the other day cleaning my place. Now, if you're a normal person, you're probably listening to this and you're asking yourself, how big is your place if it took you a full four hours to clean it? And the answer is like, I think it's 52 square meters. So like maybe 600 square feet or so. And the reason it takes me so long is that I'm deeply inefficient as a cleaner. Um, 
I've had conversations with my mom where she kind of like consults me. She could definitely charge money for that, by the way. Um, I'll FaceTime her and I'll like walk her around my place and she'll tell me like what to clean first and how to clean it. That's kind of embarrassing. And I'm pro- that's probably the thing that I'm most ashamed that I've shared on this podcast. But sorry, I just burped. But the reason that it, I'm deeply inefficient is that I also, it's not even that I don't have like the right technique. It's that I don't have the right tools sometimes it feels like. I get all the sprays, I get all the stuff, but then I find myself on the floor the other day mopping the floor with a rag in my hand, like Cinderella. Or I'm like in the kitchen using a toothbrush, obviously not the toothbrush that I used to brush my teeth, you sicko. Using a toothbrush though to like clean the grout and the edges of the, and then I just get so obsessive with like the, you know, like the small stuff. And then I realized that I still haven't cleaned. I actually haven't done any real cleaning yet. I've kind of just done like side tasks. So my place still looks like shit, even though I've been cleaning for like 45 minutes. And then I guess I go through like these, you know, normal stages that most people go through. I start dusting, then I vacuum, then I mop. And then... I know, and then I start like doing glass and stuff. I have like a squeegee, so I like do like my doors. And then I notice, of course, while I'm, you know, cleaning glass, that things are still dusty. So then what do I do? I grab the duster again. And then I notice that there's stuff on the floor. So then I start vacuuming again. And then I'm like, well, if, if the floor is dirty again, I need to start mopping. And I have this little cute dog that is sleeping right now in front of me. She actually looks like an angel. And I'm pretty sure that I'm almost convinced at this point that she was put on this earth solely to teach me how to love. Because I look at this dog and she's just like a bundle of joy and warmth and kindness and patience and empathy. And she's enthusiastic about every single person that she meets. And she's adventurous and she's curious and she's like, She's intellectual for a dog. It's crazy. She'll pick up just random words in a sentence and she'll know. She'll know the meaning of the sentence. Like not not a complex sentence, no offense to her, but like she'll just be able to pull out specific words out of context and know what the meaning is because maybe she'll like run over to the door to leave. Not without me. Um or to grab food or something like that. So I know that she's like a very intelligent dog, but I think really her purpose on this earth, as egotistical as it sounds, is to like teach me how to love. And who knows, maybe this is really just a simulation and she was just actually put here like as a computer program. But yeah, I'm very grateful for her, if you couldn't tell. And, you know, I've had ups and downs having her because there's a lot of guilt that's associated, I think, when you're trying to start your own thing and you have a dog that relies on you and they're just like this cute little animal that needs to be fed and walked and, you know, they have their own needs. But yeah, we've had our ups and downs and I'm really, really grateful for her. And the reason that I bring her up is just to say that sometimes, you know, when you're cleaning you'll find like a little version of her because she sheds. You'll find a little version of her in a corner. So you start cleaning that, you start vacuuming up the hair, and then you find like little puppy tracks and you're like, 
Okay, gotta mop that. And uh, before you know it, your place just looks dirty again, like within five to six hours of cleaning it. So it's a trade-off for sure. But I'm still very grateful. Man, I cannot wait to be sitting out on my balcony in the summer with my computer open and just enjoying every single day of the week. And I, I say this every year, but this time I'm really going to enjoy summer. And another thing that I say every year is that this year I'm really going to enjoy Halloween. And I know it's only April, but Halloween is my favorite holiday. It's six months away. And I just got to say that this year I'm going to do it right. And, you know, last year I tried celebrating it, but the thing is like, I just get so excited in September for Halloween that I end up overdoing it. And then by the time Halloween rolls around, it's like I've been celebrating it for two months. Um, if you're listening to this and you're a cute girl and we might have chemistry, hold me to my word because Halloween is literally my favorite holiday. And last year's Halloween, it wasn't ideal. Um, I was going through a breakup, but you know, leading up to it, it was quite good. It was quite good. Like I, my ex bought me some, some really nice books that I, I mean, not, I mean, they were good books. They're, they're just really nostalgic for me. Um, Goosebumps books. And then I was also watching some Goosebumps. The thing about Halloween is that like, to a certain extent, you really need to be around people that understand it and don't judge you. I think like in a perfect world, and, and maybe just one more thing, when I say understand, I mean somebody that's lived the experience as a kid, because Halloween is a nostalgic holiday, right? It's not just, I'm not obsessed with it just because I like the aesthetics or something like that. It's because there are a lot of positive memories that are attached to it. I used to go trick-or-treating with my grandma on Halloween. Um, my brother and I used to like dress up as funny stuff on Halloween. One time I was a fat ballerina and like, sorry, when I say fat, I mean, it was an inflated costume. So she was supposed to look obese and I was in sixth grade. It was hilarious. And, uh, yeah, I just walked around like a fat ballerina another year, or maybe I was a princess, but it doesn't matter. Uh, another year, uh, my brother dressed up as an old woman and I dressed up as an old man and our clothes were authentic. Our costumes were really owned by old people and they smelled so fucking bad. Like, mothballs. That's how authentic we were. My brother and I always enjoyed Halloween together. We always had fun. And I think the only thing besides my family that I can say I really miss about the United States is the amount of love that there is for Halloween. It's so freaking beautiful when October rolls around and the leaves are changing. People have this sense of wonder. It's so beautiful. And it's something that I just haven't really noticed here in Germany yet, that people really care about it the way that we did. And so that's why I'm saying that if I do end up getting married to somebody who's not American, for one month out of every year, I need to be in the United States 
with my American family, my other wife, and my other kids, just for the month, and then I'll come back to Europe. I'm just joking. Obviously, come on, don't hit me. But uh, I think it would be just really nice, actually, like every October, or at least for at least a couple of months. I mean, ideally, I would have a, a house in the States somewhere. Um, yeah, I would have another house in the States somewhere. That'd be really nice. Somewhere in Michigan, somewhere in Minnesota, or in Chicago, like in uh, Illinois, because I know that there, I actually was Googling best neighborhoods for trick-or-treating the other day. I realized that that probably seems really random because it's April right now, but when I look at houses for sale, I'm really looking at the the whole picture. I want to know what it's going to be like to actually live in that area. You know, some some people understandably look at like the school districts and the crime rates. I'm really just looking at the <laughs> the best towns for trick-or-treating and celebrating Halloween in general. And a lot of them tend to be in Illinois and the Midwest in general. So yeah, that's probably where I would buy a house. And then my American family would ask, you know, where I am the rest of the 11 months of the year. And I would say, dad's got to go on a mission. I'll be back next year. Like I always am. You know, I always come back for you guys. And that'll be it. But anyway, um, for me, it's just really important to be able to celebrate those traditions. And I know that there are other traditions out there that people in the States really do cherish, like Thanksgiving, for instance, and you know, Christmas is celebrated on the 25th instead of the 24th. Um, just so you guys know, Germany's been getting it wrong all these years. I don't understand, but one year they're going to get it right. And we have other traditions as well, like St. Patrick's Day and stuff like that. But Halloween has always been my favorite holiday for sure. One year at college, at the third school, the third university that I went to, I was trying to find a costume that I could wear to the bar. So I went to Goodwill and I found an atrocious turtleneck. And I think I might have bought pants there as well. And I tucked my turtleneck into my pants and then put a belt over it. And then I just said, I'm a virgin. I'm a virgin for Halloween. That was my joke. I'm a virgin. So I didn't really think about it, but it doesn't really seem that funny when you call yourself a virgin. Like it's not, it's not like I'm dressing up as a shark where it's very obvious that I'm not a shark. So I walk up to my friend and we're like talking and then we start to walk up to cute girls together. That was like our thing. And of course it was Halloween, so like, man, girls are stunning on Halloween. I mean, obviously there's a lot of, you know, the same costumes or whatever, but I really like it when girls go all out on Halloween and especially creative costumes. They always get my, it's, a, it's the nostalgia about it. It's the fact that like somebody like clearly put in time and energy, unlike me dressing up as a virgin. And it just is really attractive to me. And anyway, so I walk up to a girl and we're chatting, my friend's chatting to her friend, 
and I think this, I think she was feeling it and I thought that she was cute. And anyway, she asked me what I am and my friend interjects and just screams, he's a virgin. And she walks away. And then I realized, yeah, how good of a costume would it be to say that you're a virgin if you actually are a virgin? It's almost like you can just tell people the truth and they'll have sex with you thinking it's a joke and then you can like really disappoint them. I wasn't a virgin at the time. I was like 22 years old or 21 years old, maybe 20, but I was not a virgin. And uh, it really just backfired on me. And I think the the funny thing about like this concept that we have of, of virginity in the States, uh, I'm only speaking for myself, but one of the stereotypes that exists is like if a girl is a virgin and you find out that she's a virgin, there's like this fear that if you do something with her, she's going to fall in love with you forever. If a guy is a virgin, I think it's the same thing, but I think it's also that the guy is probably going to really suck at having sex. And so like nobody wants to take virginities. I have known a few people that wanted to take virginities, but I think that's a religious thing and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make fun of them. But yeah, I think it's a very strange concept. It's almost like everyone pretends not to be a virgin so that they can then get over it. There was a girl that I knew from my third university and she lived across the hall from me. And we we would hang out sometimes. Nothing had ever really happened, but we always like flirted. And she would come into our room and she'd like, you know, make jokes and stuff. One night, she came over to my room because again, she lived across the hall directly. And she came over to my room and it was just me in there. And we were like sitting on my bed and, and talking. And then one thing led to another. Now, I've been debating whether or not I'm going to go into like explicit details on my podcast. And I still, I don't think that my podcast is listed as a comedy podcast on the platforms and stuff. I'm pretty sure I put it as like a society podcast or like something to do with like culture and social, sociology. I don't know. So I still don't know if I have like the comedy creative license to say the things that I want to say and people not be offended by it. So until I have the approval of the comedy world, I'm going to have to keep these stories somewhat reined in. So that's the boundary that I'm establishing with my sex stories. Okay. So some one thing leads to another and we're on my bed and you know we we start having sex and Dude, if you're listening to this with your sister in the car again, or your fiance, please, it, I literally did not tell you to put this specific episode on, okay? And grandpa and grandma, I will tell you the full details if you ask, you know that. Okay, anyway, back to the story. So, anyway, it, it happens, and then it's over, and the lights were off, classic, classic, the lights were off, and so... I jump off the bed to go turn on the lights, and when I turn on the lights, it looks like I've slaughtered a lamb on my bed. And I look at her, 
I look down at my penis and then I look back at the bed and then I look back down at my penis and I ask her, wait, are you a virgin? And she just looks at me and goes, duh, and then puts on her clothes and leaves. I was bamboozled and I had white sheets. Now, when you're a guy and you're in college, chances are, I mean, um, unless you're like a, a, a wealthy kid or maybe you grew up with, I don't know, common sense, chances are you're not like, you know, rich in the sheets department. And I was not. And so I'm looking at my white sheets and I don't have any other sheets to put on there. So I take off the white sheets and I like, you know, obviously I have clothes on at this point. And I, I go down the hall and I throw my laundry in the washing machine and I have to pretty much sleep on towels for like, I don't know, for at least that night. And uh, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. So that's, you know, that's like uh, the downside of having sex with girls that have never had sex before. Now, I was going to tell you another story about the time that I lost my virginity because I lost my virginity and the girl that I had sex with also lost her virginity. And you would think that it would have been like the most, you know, beautiful and romantic time Shit, I'm so close to telling you guys this story. Fuck, my mom's never heard this story. Okay. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Oh, God. This podcast is going pretty well. All right, but I'm going to still give you the abridged version. I think abridged means shortened. I'm just making that up. I actually don't know what abridged means. Maybe it means extended. I'm going to give you the shorter version of the story and spare you some details. So I go to, <laughs> hmm, okay, I'm just trying to figure out how to say it. So what had happened was I had been seeing this girl, the girl that I told you about in one of my previous episodes, maybe the last one or the one before, the one that had come over to my house in high school, she had a boyfriend and she, you know, started dancing seductively on me and then you know one thing led to another and we ended up in my bedroom but we didn't have sex okay maybe a month later I had told one of my friends I had confided in one of my friends what had happened and he was also in, in the same class as me and this girl and he ended up telling someone and that person told someone and then the entire class knew what had happened between me and her and because she had a boyfriend that really threw a wrench into her relationship it also uh, completely completely destroyed her trust in me. We had a, a couple of calls after that where I had to like have Skype calls with her boyfriend who lived in Colombia and her, and it was very uncomfortable, and we never hung out again. And what was sad is that I actually really fell for this girl, and I had the biggest crush on her ever. I just had a big mouth and told somebody that I shouldn't have told. So because she never wanted to talk to me again, and I really was like infatuated with her, if not mildly in love, I was hurt and I was sad and I felt alone and I hated myself for having ruined it. So one night, my friend invites me, um, we're going to go over to this 
girl's house. She goes to a private school in New Jersey. And we are going to um, hang out there and we're just going to drink and stuff. It's two guys. Oh, sorry. It's two girls and four guys, including myself. So when we get over to her place, um, she has a guest house. And we're in the guest house and it's just one big room with a bathroom. I mean, it's not like a massive room or anything, but it's like, it used to be a different structure and it was converted into a guest house. So it's just like a little bit longer. And we have the lights off. There's a couch in there. There's one bed, there's a bathroom, and then there's kind of like a sitting area. And then, yeah, I mean, it's in the backyard of the house. So it's not attached at all to the main house. So we're in the back there, I'm drinking, I'm sitting on the floor and uh, I have a bottle of wine and I'm pretty much crying because I'm just really torn. And at one point I look up and I see both of my friends on the ca- on the uh, bed rather sitting next to one of the girls and uh, they each have a boob in their hand of this girl. And yeah, I mean... Again, I'm not going to get into like the explicit details, but neither of them are like making out with her or anything. They're just like pretty much playing with her boobs. And my eyes just like go so wide because I'm, I'm just so thrown off by this. And then my other friend is sitting on the couch and that girl is like, I guess, doing something with them, but they're not having, they're not having sex. So I'm just crying and crying and crying pretty much just want to leave, but I'm the one that drove there and I'm drunk and I'm not going to be able to go home that night. So at some point, as I'm laying down on my back and crying, this girl that was on the bed with my two friends comes over to me and she's like, hey, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing. She's like, come on, you can tell me. And I start to tell her like, you know, this girl that I really like, isn't into me anymore and blah, blah, blah. And so she's like, why don't you come over to the bed? And when we're walking towards the bed, uh, it's like my friends aren't there anymore. They're in a different part of the room or maybe they're like outside. I don't know. Um, And so we're sitting on the bed and then we start kissing and then, you know, something does lead to another and then we end up having sex. And... I just felt so like devoid of any emotion and just like in my mind, I just felt like that's not the way that it's supposed to happen. I didn't even know this girl. It just felt like so fucked up. I mean, I didn't know her well. I'd met her a couple of times, so I didn't know her well. And so when I get into the bathroom, I still have a condom on and I'm, you know, (laughs) butt naked. My two friends who had been like playing with her boobs are in the bathroom waiting for me. So I walk in butt naked, I turn on the light and it's like a surprise party. And they're just like jumping up and down and dancing and hooting and hollering. And the bed is right outside this bathroom. So it must've been very bizarre for anybody that was on the outside uh, of the bathroom. My friends are high-fiving me. They're like, dude, you did it. You're not a virgin anymore. I'm like, whoa, let's go. We walk out of the bathroom. She's still sitting on the bed. She goes, who's next? No joke. My other friend raises his hand 
And she's like, all right, come on then. And they literally start having sex in the same room as us. While this is happening, I'm really, really overcome with grief. Like I just feel like I've been run over by a train. So I grab the blanket and my bottle of wine and it's winter time. I walk outside without shoes on and I just lay down with my body wrapped around a tree and the blanket is wrapped around me so that my bare body is not touching the ground. And I'm just like laying out there and I'm just like, I hope, I hope, um, I can just fall asleep and then wake up and then leave in the morning. Well, at some point, my friend who has just started have who had started having sex with her after I did comes outside looking for me and he tells me that I have to go inside and I'm like, no, I don't want to. And he's like, don't be an idiot. Come inside. So I walk inside and I'm talking to him for a bit and then I hear a noise um, coming from the area of the bed. And I look over and my third friend is now having sex with her. And they're like on the ground in doggy style with a sheet over them, like scooching along the ground like a ghost. It literally looks like a ghost in doggy style. It was bizarre. And yeah, um, <laughs> that's how I lost my, my virginity. And it was just a very strange night for me because I, I literally went from never having like that month I went from like really not having done much with any girl. Uh, even the girl that I mentioned, you know, the Colombian girl, it was really innocent between us. And I didn't, I never have been the kind of person that like goes crazy in that kind of way. Like, when I'm in a relationship and I really like somebody, I go crazy. Okay. Putting that out there. But like, I've never really been the, I've never really just been after like physical stuff ever. That's not never really like my goal. And maybe I like talk about it in a perverted way. Like I'll, you know, make jokes and stuff to my friends, but that's just like not how I operate. It just doesn't feel like it's like that rewarding when it's just like one night stands and stuff like that. And that night was just a lot, a lot for me, for sure, to just feel like I went from being a virgin <laughs> to not being a virgin. And that girl went from being a virgin to having had sex with three people in one night. And yeah, I mean, this she was fine. Like she literally was like completely fine. I don't even think that she was, to be honest, I don't even know if she had really drank that night. I'm pretty sure out like I'm pretty sure out of all of my friends I was the one that was like the one that was actually drinking the most because I was I was pretty much just sitting on the ground drinking wine out of a bottle and uh pretty sure everybody else was just like having orgies. It's so bizarre though to think back that that's that that's where it all started. Mom, if you've listened to this entire episode, uh and I'm sorry, that must be really weird. But I didn't know it was going to happen. And better to be first than last in that case, I would say. But anyway. Um, <laughs> so that, that whole notion of being like a virgin was just, you know, a lot of virgins 
They'll say, like, it was so special the first time that I had sex. I knew it. It was the right girl. Yeah, the first time I had sex, I just thought, holy fuck, am I a porn star now? Am I an adult film star? Is this what my life is just going to become? I just start doing, like, adult movies after this. I really do think that if um, an adult film producer had approached me at that during that month, especially because I was feeling so down, you know, maybe that that would have been my career, but uh, it didn't reach that, luckily. Did not reach that. And uh, I definitely rebound, like I definitely bounced back from it. <sighs> but, but yeah. It's strange though, when you think about how much of a risk having sex is in general and how every single partner that you have you could potentially have a child with. And I think it's, in a lot of cases, just pure luck. I mean, you can you can take precautions, and you should, but I think in a lot of cases, it's just pure luck that you don't have a kid um, before you know you find the person that you're supposed to be with. And yes, I do believe that there's a person out there for everybody. I really do believe that. You can call me a Hallmark card or a Disney movie, whatever, but I really believe that. If you're patient enough, you will find the person that makes you feel like they're your person. And then when I think back, like all the different times, all the different times, now I sound like I'm a, a gigolo. But when I think about all the different experiences that I've had with people, there's really not a single person that I think to this point would have been I mean there there are girlfriends but we broke up for a reason right so I would have rather it would have been them that I had a kid with than some random person that I didn't know very well but uh yeah it's it's just so weird like so much of our so much of our lives could have been dictated and negatively impacted by having made the wrong decision with the wrong person. And, you know, you see these kids that, and I say kids because I, I literally mean like high school students, you'll see high school students that, you know, get pregnant and that's it. That's for a while. You know, if they decide to keep the child, that's it for a while. And I, I would imagine that a lot of them don't end up, um, you know, finishing their studies and, that's just like super tough. I would say that that would have been my own personal nightmare is not having been able to finish my studies. Obviously, I was not going to be the one that gets pregnant, you know, but maybe when that happens, you know, the idea of going, like, especially if it's in high school, maybe the idea of going away to university is no longer on the table. And maybe you kind of have to start working to support yourself and to support your your baby mama, unless you have like a, a rich, a rich family. And I know someone that does, that did get, um, a girl that he was dating in college, in college though, um, pregnant. And he does come from a really wealthy family and it seems like it's been fine for him. And I don't even know if they're together, but yeah, just, it does throw a wrench. I would imagine into a lot of the plans that you have for your future, the earlier that it happens, obviously. And especially if you haven't like gone to a place where you're developed yet, you know, developed mentally, which I can tell you I, I'm still not there. I'm hoping that when I reach 30, 
I'll stop telling really inappropriate stories on this podcast and maybe get some respect on my name. But uh, until that happens, you know, I'm, I'm still developing. So that's how I put it into perspective. I'm looking around my place because I'm just trying to think if there's anything that was left unsaid. I'm going to say this again. I've said this before. I'm going to say it once more, maybe more in the future. Being a parent, I would imagine, must be the hardest thing ever. Because your kids, you see them when they're like literally babies and they can't feed themselves. And then they're toddlers and they're like, adorable and they say like really silly stuff and they're like you know jumping out and trying to scare you but they're like bite-sized or you know kid-sized and and they're no threat to anybody and then they get a little bit older and you know they're starting to like actually use real sentences and then you start to see their like real personalities um when they're you know probably like seven eight nine ten and you know, they're just like this little person that you made and they just follow you along everywhere you go. Every time you go grocery shopping, every time that you go to mail something um, and you go everywhere with them, they're just like your little buddy. And then one day when they're in high school, you know, they get a little bit of freedom, a little bit more than they've had before. They're able to stay up a little bit later at night and one and one night, you know, they tell you that they're going to be home at nine o'clock and then they don't get home until 11 o'clock. And you're upset with them because you feel like they lied to you or that they were irresponsible. And you start to realize that you have such little control over them as people and that your control is only getting looser and looser and looser. And then eventually you find out that they're drinking and eventually you might find out that, that they're smoking weed or cigarettes. And you see this like little kid that was like inseparable from you and now they're making decisions for themselves and you only want them to pick up in life where you're leaving your life, like where you're leaving off. So you want them to inherit all of the wisdom and the lessons that you have and, you know, to avoid all the mistakes that you've made. And you just have to watch this person make all of the same fucking mistakes that you made when you were a kid and go through it all together. Go through it all together. That doesn't make any sense. And go through it all on their own. And maybe they get to a point where they do slip up and something serious does happen. Maybe they get in trouble with the police. Maybe they um, you know, do have sex and it leads to something, um, you know, maybe they get hooked on drugs. I don't know. These things happen. And that's like you, one of your worst nightmares as a parent, right? But then you think to yourself, probably I'd rather have them alive than not. And so, you know, there's levels to it, but you see them like slowly ruining their lives. Man, it's scary. It's scary. And then one day they're just not in your house anymore they're off at college and you know that that's like the last 
that era of your entire life, the last 18 years of your life as a parent, it's over and a new chapter has begun and you're just never going to see them as often anymore. Only when they come home for holidays and stuff like that. And um, it's it's just crazy. I mean, it's just like this circle of, of life that we live in, you know, where things feel so permanent sometimes. But then if we actually look back at what a year, what the last year entailed, we can hardly remember, you know, maybe if we had to like go through every single day on a calendar, maybe we would be able to remember what happened, distinctly remember what happened on like 50 of the 365 days or maybe a hundred but there's no chance that if you go through every single day on a calendar, especially without like reminders and the calendar events, there's just no way that you would remember a lot of stuff. And so, you know, this is for anybody that's listening to this that wants to hear something deep. It goes by so quickly. And there are days, even as the 29 year old, there are days that I look around and I just see the temporary nature of everything. And that's why I don't care that I put these stories out there on a podcast because it doesn't matter. You know, these are small things. If somebody doesn't want to work with me because of something I put on my podcast, that's small. Yes, it might not be ideal in the short term, but you know what's not ideal in the long term? Not existing. Not existing is really not ideal in the long term. And I would take existing as my authentic self over non-existing at any point in time. So that's it. I know that got a little bit heavy, but um, I try to just put this back into context. You know, it's like, it's not like I just come onto the podcast to be silly or to be like super deep and philosophical. It's a, it's a balance. It's really just about bringing my full self and realizing I have different sides to me. And even though I want to have fun and, and make it silly and, you know, there's still a lot that I feel like I'm able to express that I've learned just by being a human being. And it would be really interesting at some point one day to have kids that actually listen to this podcast, like my own children. Because, you know, they're just, they just, it's, it's like you, but they hit the reset button. And they just have to go through everything again. I think it's so fascinating. Well, this has been a really nice episode. I enjoyed, I really enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I've been speaking for a lot longer than I usually do, I think. One hour and 14 minutes, not bad. I think when I have guests on, I will get to a point where I will be talking a lot more. I mean, the episodes will go a lot longer. But, um... I still haven't figured out who I would have on as the first guest. I think that that's like the the toughest question, um, the toughest decision to make so far. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, I promise you I'm still in very good spirits. It's just quite late and I, I'm going to get up pretty early tomorrow still. So... I wish you nothing but an amazing day ahead. And yeah, I'd be curious to know if you listen and if you enjoyed this. And 
I'd also be curious to see under the analytics in a couple of days if a certain listener between the ages, and by the way, listen to this, on Spotify's analytics, they have like the age categories broken down into like, you know, I don't know, I want to say like 14 to 18, maybe like, I don't know, let's just say 14 to 20, 21 to 26, 26 to 35, 35 to 60, and then 60 to 110 or some shit. How fucked up is that? But I guess like Spotify also realizes that most of the people that are on Spotify are not in that age range. But it still seems a little insensitive, if you ask me, to just group people over a 40-year lifespan, 40 or 50-year lifespan. Like 60 to 105 or 110 is pretty fucked up. There should be like 60 to 75, 75 to 90, 92. So this is going to be the line in the sand that I draw. By the end of 2024, I want more detailed analytics on Spotify so I can tell if I have um, listeners, you know, that are actually between the ages of 60 and 75 and 75 and 90. Because then I'd be able to know how often my grandparents actually listen. But right now it's actually really difficult to tell that. <sighs> All right, guys, I'm going to jump off here. I am wishing you the best. Have a great night and let's do this again soon. Peace. Thank you.